All right, and welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. You didn't ask for it, but you're getting it nonetheless. Another episode. <laughs> We're putting it to him. Mm. Yeah, they had it coming. They did. So uh, We've got a sword in each hand, and we're mowing them down like wheat. Okay. <laughs> Women and children alike. All right. Oh, jeez. So, we are the gaming podcast that just brings you more and just won't stop coming. So, uh, tonight we have Topic, and we, it is also a topic for Freeform Friday. Yeah, it's an easy one for us. Uh, Freeform Friday is always a little fun time where we just... We, we can get our ramble on without uh, feeling like we have to stay structure heavy. Uh, I'm kind of proud of some of our Topic Tuesdays because I, I think we're doing a slightly better job of staying straight on topic, moving from point to point. Uh, but Freeform Friday is just fun. Oh, yeah. It's just time for us to cut loose and kick back. So hey, Ramble on. Hopefully you'll join us for a little bit of exploration of some topics bouncing around the Internet these days. And, of course... As always, we're going to recap a little bit off our Talisalana podcast. I uh, got some good feedback from folks. Uh, yeah, I did forget the Arids of the Seven Kingdoms. You're right. True, that's actually partly my fault uh, at that precise moment. Uh, I, I hustled us through the description of the classic uh, types and, you know, hustled into other parts of the game. Because, uh, well, you know, half-hour format is just really tough to squeeze in so much material on a game that great. Yeah, that's uh, it's worth checking out. And, of course, uh, glad to see a few fans still out there for it. So Yeah. Again, just going to reiterate, uh, one of the great games that needs a new edition. So if you're listening out there, <laughs> give it a, a go and uh, you know let people know that you like this game and want to see it maybe put into print for yet another edition for the ages. Yeah, something that uh, all gamers can you know get a nod from. Uh, there's a lot of inspiration in there for DMs who have other games that they're playing. Talislanta uh, has got a lot to offer, especially to the DM that is very liberal with regard to plucking items from one game and introducing them to another. Yeah, that was totally what Talislanta's big selling point was, is that you could just use whatever you wanted. Uh, you could have your adventurers from a typical D&D game make a transition into Talislanta because it does have its own planar connection to the multiverse and all that but uh i think tonight we're just gonna zip on into it so we're just gonna get right into paying the bills getting our advertisement done and be right back at you all right anchor take it away welcome back the dice screaming podcast the mysterious odor of gaming podcasts you know that 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 when you've got something under the floorboards that, you know, like it could have been a mouse or, or you don't know, maybe a neighbor's cat crawled under the porch and, you know, just there's the, now they're just a lingering and you have no idea what the exact source is. Yeah, that's us. Yeah, also, uh, you know, also known as that mysterious con stench <laughs> when you pass the anime room. Oh, no, no, we don't deserve such a sordid fate. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, when you, it comes to mysterious odors, there's nothing like those mysterious odors in the con. Cool. And speaking of which, Gen Con is fully underway, so if you're at Gen Con, you know... Oh, good on you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good time to be out there. The weather's pretty nice. But uh, we're going to get right into it. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about a topic that should seem kind of self-explanatory. Why do you ask these questions? Is gaming fun? <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about. I, I, 
I'm still in a little phase of shock about this because, you know, it, as may have been mentioned in the show before, I do not haunt the internet as much. Uh, oftentimes I'm out of date on what are the popular, uh, you know, social media things and what are the, you know, hip debates to be involved in. This kind of takes me for a loop. Uh, so, so there's a perspective, I, I'm to understand, that gaming is to be taken seriously. That it, it's it's not just fun. I mean, it should obviously be entertaining, but it's to be undertaken with the greatest of seriousness and stuff like that. Yeah, that's kind of where it comes from. I mean, I've been I've had a roundabout <laughs> with a few people over this topic, and I kind of scratch my head every time it comes up. Uh, pretty much, I guess it goes back to the early days of gaming that you know, bad, wrong, fun, or doing it right. And out of that kind of debate that was for years, like, are you gaming the right way? Are your, the way that you game the correct version of what the rules and creators of the game intended? And really out of that also came the bad, wrong, fun. If you're doing it wrong, you're not just doing it wrong. You're not having bad fun. You have wrong, bad fun. So... Out of that sort of hard scrabble atmosphere came people that just come to the conclusion that as long as you're having fun, it doesn't matter. I mean, it comes down to this. Uh, if you don't use the encumbrance rules, like if encumbrance is a bear for you in a chore, then, well, you know, do you really need to use it? I, I guess not. But oh, Yeah, look, I mean, it's a guidebook. Uh, man, you know, we've been on the opposite side of that fence for so long that it's just it's so hard to imagine people dwelling in this incredibly straight jacketed environment mm -hmm. where uh you know no there's no wiggle room oh no 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 everything has got to be exactly just so you know just an almost ocd complex and i don't mean that to be offensive to people who actually deal with day-to-day -day crises right. of ocd uh but you know, an ocd-like behavior pattern where everything must be in its perfect order and i've, I've got a you know, flip the light switch on, then off, then on again before I consider the room to be lit. That's, it's not in my wheelhouse, man. I, we've never lived in that, that kind of headspace. Yeah, and it, you kind of know when you're having fun when you have it. And to have fun, you got to basically get out there and do that. So I think one of the big premises and where we're going to start off with this is gaming when it first started was approached in kind of an attitude that you know, here are the rules, learn the rules, and start adventuring. Make some characters, get your friends together, and get a game going. And you may probably, or more than likely, screw it up, forget some important <laughs> rules, misinterpret something, and then you come back later to the next session, presuming there is one, and you fix it. Or the next time you get a group together, you do better. Um, it's a learning process, and it's not one that can be taught by rote and measure in typical terms. Like, okay, open your workbooks to page 34, and today we're going to cover encumbrance values of main weapons and armor and their effects in combat. <laughs> you can't really approach gaming like that. You've got to kind of start with a, a entry point, which is, okay, we've got our characters created, and okay, let's take a little sidebar there. Character creation for some people is not very fun. Filling out the sheets looking up the rules and stat adjustments and doing your skills. 
That can be a little bit of a chore in a process. Oh, but, yeah, but you, you can't just throw something like that completely out. Uh, I, I admit, some of this stuff is like the... Depending on the individual, some of this stuff is less fun. But, you know, there's a limit to what you can pitch. Right. You've got to have a certain amount. Like, 5th edition allows you... If you don't want skills, you don't have to use skills. If you don't want feats, you don't have to use feats. You can play it with a bare-bones approach. And maybe for the first couple times, that's the best way to do it. But over a period of time, you're going to learn and improve your game and maybe incorporate some new rules, or maybe your players will step up and help I, you learn the new system. And I, uh, I want to I pause and mention this as a plus side of 5th edition. It may discomfort some people, but, you know, those of us who are very old gamers... Oh, dear. Oh, boy. When's Matlock on? Where's my pants? Uh... It, we doddering old mud die of gamers, uh, we remember an era where there was basic edition, expert edition, master uh, compendium, things like that, and then there was advanced D&D, and these were all on the shelves at the same time. Fifth Ed has taken the, I think, pretty wise step of providing that in a single outing, where you can select the degree of complexity of your campaign at the outset. Like, we're going to do a stripped-down, bare-bones, basic. Or, as the party gets more used to this game, we can incorporate this next phase of the rule set. I think that's a plus. I don't think that's a nightmare at all. Because no. it sure beats buying, you know, like, four different editions to, to get the same effect. Right, and... When we played, it was just basic and expert, and uh, geez, you know, it was a lot of, you know, I had the blue box, and, you know, then trying to, like, figure out, okay, well, the blue box, what's Dungeons and Dragons, the red box, I guess that's the next step, uh, geez, I, I got it all in reverse order, and then, you know, finally got stratified with the advanced Dungeons and Dragons, because that's what the real gamers play. Oh, yeah, my, my critical errors in calculation at 12 uh, yeah. were forgivable. Because, uh, again, 12, okay? You know, the, these, the advanced Dungeons & Dragons books are admittedly a lot more complex than the basic set books. Uh, so I botched all kinds of things. I just, I, I had radical misconceptions of how the rules were structured. Uh, and I, I think it was a move in the right direction sure. to, to bundle it and have a, you know, simple version, easy, easy play. Uh, and let's put it in intermediate mode. And, uh-oh, now I'm ready for nightmare level. Yeah, yeah you know, the when the what's called B-E-C-M-I, or the Basic Expert Companion Masters Immortals set came out. Oh, my God, I forgot about Immortals. Shame on me. Um, Shame. You know, you went from first, it covered the play from first to 36 level. And, you know, Basic and Expert were pretty much just about the same thing. But Companion added some subclasses like the Druid, mm. the Paladin, and the Avenger. And then Masters included like weapon specialization, weapon uh, mastery, and also some more or different ways to run magic as uh, certain characters capped out at 10th level, like your elf. Yeah, they, they definitely expanded the system so that. Uh the limitations of basic and expert uh, could be surpassed. And then Immortals took you into Godhood. So, you know, and the adventures where, you know, you weren't just fighting like orcs, you know, you were fighting planar threats that even the gods 
balk at challenging. Like, uh, um, <clears throat> how about we let the uh, the newbies handle this one? <clears throat> I'm yeah. just gonna I'm gonna fade into the background for a minute. Yeah, you do Ooh, that, Zeus. Mysterious light. <laughs> um, but I also think that there's a certain thing from those early days about playing by the rules that comes out of wargaming, where the transition from Dungeons & Dragons, the role-playing game, to its roots in the wargaming community held pretty true to a lot of people, that rules had to be obeyed, and they were there for a reason, because they had <coughs> game balance. And yeah, you know what, that's that's an adept point. I, I think that's a totally worthwhile thing to mention, is that given that role-playing games came out of war games, there is a kind of rules addiction built right into, you know, it's baked right into the, the goodies. Mm-hmm. We can't help it. Uh, a part of us descended from a rules-centric system. And if you're playing Warhammer 40K, you got to measure every inch. Well, yeah. And I mean, not just the inches, but like if you're breaking down in the metrics here, we're getting down to millimeters and things like that. Base-to-base contact, yeah, stuff yeah, like that. fields of fire. So there's very specific requirements for these games that involve miniatures. And uh, here's the thing, though. D&D is a hybrid, okay? It emerged out of that, but it is not wholly of that. It has become a game that is chiefly a game of the mind, not a game of the table space. And you can incorporate wargaming and miniatures into your game, and I think it terrifically enhances things. I, I think those are thrilling additions for any group of players. But are they absolute essentials? No, they are not. Yeah, and sometimes their inclusion can bog down the game and make it not so much fun. But if you're running Kriegspiel in the late 1800s <laughs> in a Prussian military academy in order to teach cadets the idea of ever-changing, the ever-changing nature of a battlefield and the best laid plans going awry at the inclusion of unforeseen circumstances, that's one thing. But I would also remind you that those referees that ran those Kriegspiel games were often sought out by the nobility to host war games at their houses. And those referees didn't always obey the book when they felt that their own experiences told them something completely different. And also, when the students would study for hours these rule books and thought that they had all the formula mapped out, it was the referee's job to change it up so that they didn't know what to expect, thus performing the nature of Warfare in its rawest form, it's chaos. Barely yeah. contained. Uh, things like, uh, is it raining? Did your powder get wet? You know, those were sometimes random decisions interjected by referees that, no, there wasn't a roll of the dice. Uh, there, there wasn't a specific note in the rule book that mentioned this. Uh, but, hey, you know what? Sometimes in life, your entire brigade of cannoneers got uh, bad soup and they're all crapping their guts out from dysentery and nothing is getting done. Or the done. baggage train uh, with all your extra ammunition and powder didn't arrive because it was waylaid by raiders. So now you only have three shots for your cannons. Yeah. So, yeah, the introduction of a random element that is essentially what we would call DM fiat, uh, that it's decision-making, not uh, perfect, orderly uh step-by-step play by the rules. It's it's a little more organic than that. And although I shy away from the hippie-esque tone of it, uh, in truth, it's really kind of 
what makes D&D D&D. I mean, it, it's an essential component, the, the disorderliness of it. Uh, players will always disrupt whatever you have planned. Right. I, I've that, had some beautiful, perfect, planned out things that I thought were going to be incredibly dramatic for them. And the actions of the players just threw that completely off base. Jim, Kara, yeah, those, those perfect crits right on my chief monster at the precise moment. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm looking right at you. you know, totally blew my plans out of the water. Changed what I had expected. But you know what? They had fun. Uh, and my orderliness and my planning probably would not have provided any different amount of fun than they had with their decisions interrupting my plan. Right. It's the rule of three. You know, um, allow maximum fun to be had at any time. Um, number two, let obey the rules and the dice, except where rule number one would stand. Yeah, if it gets in the way of the good time, eh, you know, a little editorial control is fine. Uh, and the third rule is always have fun and let the players enjoy themselves. First and foremost, that's the rule of three about having fun. And that was the part that got challenged. First so, rule is do not talk about game club. The too second late. rule is do not talk about game club. Oh, yeah, we broke the first two rules just on episode one, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but those rules are meant to be broken. That's the whole point. Yeah, it's all mutable. Uh, and this includes the material in the texts. Uh, Editorial control is granted to the DM. The only caution that Gygax included was really regarding game balance. Yeah, which if you change anything, look to the whole of the game, look to the other rules, see where it applies, and understand why it's there. And that's part of game mastery, which we can touch on another time. But as we're talking about the esoterics of rules, let's get back to the main point, which is... Fun. Fun. Okay, so the point and contention was primarily... There are parts of gaming that are just not fun, like filling out a character sheet is akin to filling out your tax forms. Um, or dying. Played. Dying is not fun. I'm a little less enthused about the dying part. I never really minded building a character. I always... Uh, I have a little trouble with a new system if I've just come out of the gate, but I've always found that the most interesting way to learn a new system is to sit down with the pen and paper and start crafting a character page by page as the rules explain how, you know, where do you begin, you know, the basic stats, things like that. And then my familiarity with a new game usually comes from that experience. So I'm not really hostile to that one. Right. The encumbrance thing. Oh, yeah. If you've tried to keep tabs on a party's encumbrance for a long-term campaign, it, you know, once they've got a wagon, I'm pretty forgiving. You know, if they've got something to transport stuff in, uh, if they've got magical containers, I start getting pretty lighthearted about it. Uh, but when they're noobs and they don't have those magical resources, uh, I tend to be hawkish. And honestly, that's a drag. It, it was not a party for me as a DM. So no, well... and You're onto something with the encumbrance thing. There, there is a point that you have to kind of shrug and say, well... This is a part of bookkeeping that the players should be doing. And you kind of pawn it off onto them a little bit. But that's a little bit of trust. But I always believe in the good old character on it. But again, the, the point is, what is fun? And fun is something that when you sit down to game, 
the nature of the idea of game is to play, which playing is akin to fun. So if you're not having fun, like Pat said, then why are you even doing it? And that's the puzzling part to me. But where I'm going to confront it is, is one of the guys that uh, got pretty uh, worked up over the point I made about that, you know, you do your gaming how you feel is fun. If keeping track of encumbrance and all these things makes it fun for you, then by all means, do it. You're doing your own thing. Oh, yeah. Groovy. I mean, honestly, uh, I, I cannot gainsay anybody's right to run their game their way. Uh, you know, or play as a player the way that they enjoy playing. I, I really don't. Uh, I don't get the idea that like lockstep uniformity is going to make gaming better somehow. Uh, I've been in a lot of weird, different games that uh, were variants on a theme, and the big goal was to have fun. And sure, there were some tweaks here and there that I, I didn't fully understand, or maybe that's not what I'd have written. But having also done both traditional, by-the-book, uh, classic-setting campaigns and home-brewed, handwritten stuff, mm-hmm. I, I, can't, uh, I can't diss either one of those options. I can't look at them and say, wow, that's a terrible idea. Nothing should ever differ from that. No, no, my table is mine, uh, some other table. You know, those groovy experiments, those beliefs somebody else have, they're creating something. And whatever it is, uh, if people come away from the table having had a good time, you did it right. I can't. I can't look at that and disagree. I can definitely but, say that. But dictatorially, assuming that my table needs to get in line and you know come into you know obedient lockstep with other tables, no, I I don't think so. Uh, take my dice from my cold dead hand. Or you know more authoritatively, they can just go somewhere else. Um, though. Uh, I guess I would put it, like, into two terms. There is a way to play bad. Um, where you're playing, where you make your players uncomfortable, you're playing with themes and topics that upset your players or are provoking people emotionally or triggering a reaction that is just completely out of bounds of normal behavior. And I shouldn't need to go over these. These should be pretty much self-evident, even self-explanatory. But Everybody comes to a table with different experiences and expectations. The two EXs, as I like to call them. And the two Xs come together to make a crux. And sometimes you're not going to live up to somebody's expectations. Oh, and yeah. they're going to have to adjust to that. Or, more appropriately, you may have to both compromise and understand and communicate where each other comes from and learn something. And also experience. Experience is the big thing. You don't get experience by reading books and preparing endlessly and toiling laboriously over minutiae without actually getting involved into the game. And that's where I think the crux where a lot of people that cleave to this attitude that gaming shouldn't always be about fun because it's a platitude. It excuses bad behavior. It doesn't encourage people to grow or be better gamers. I'm kind of like, well, if you're a good gamer and you enjoyed what you did, you're doing it right, and you're going to learn what doesn't work for you and your players over a period of time, and you can only do that not by reading a book or exercising disciplinary behavior, but by doing. I read constantly when I was a kid. I, I you know, was just always face down in a book. Yeah. I didn't hold a candle compared to actual gameplay at a table with people. Uh, you know, nothing prepares you. No. Nothing... 
there there is no you're ready you know there there is no you're prepared it doesn't yeah. exist yeah we don't i don't think that there should ever come a time where dms <laughs> have to be prepared other than understanding the complexity of the role the tasks at hand and knowing the game well enough to be able to use confidence and authority to adjudicate a rule and make a call <laughs> it's uh and well, also have the uh fortitude to say i was wrong we did that wrong let's uh you know okay i'm just gonna reward you some hit points i screwed you out of and joe your character is not dead oh it's like what's a good uh, allegory for this uh being a boxer and a referee at the same time mm-hmm. you know you're you're in the ring okay you are directly viscerally personally involved uh and so you've got to be both engaged directly and detached enough to make assessments uh, whereas, you know, you would think that when you're in the thick of it as a boxer, you don't have time to sit down and think over all of these semantic little details uh, because there's a fist coming at your face that's like a Mack truck. Uh, well, the DM is in that unenviable position of being both at the same time. You, you've got to think oh, analytically, boy. think on your feet, dodge, weave. Uh. <laughs> but as far as prepping for the role of DM... Um, Gygax, right out of the first edition's uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, said pretty well that, you know, read. You're going to study uh, study history, uh, study even philosophy and uh, a little bit of theology. And you yeah. gain... Reading a- alone will not make you prepared, but it is a terrific component for expanding your vocabulary. It's a part of your pal- pastime as a DM, and obligation as a DM to improve your repertoire of knowledge. Yeah, you don't really have to do so much if you're just planning to play. Uh, you know, maybe something appealed to you in a movie, maybe something appealed to you into a book, or or you saw something in an anime or a podcast or a, a web show, uh, like Critical Role. You know, you see something like that and you think to yourself, well, I'd like to do something on that theme. A little less commitment for a player. It's much tougher to DM because that puts you in the hot seat. It's... yeah. Fortunately, prepared modules are back in vogue. There's a huge dearth of material that you it's, can choose from. It's work and it's fun, okay? It's, yeah. it's much like a hobby where, uh, perfect example, uh, Pat, you know, has got a hobby that he loves. And there's a lot of craftsmanship involved, a lot of practice, a lot of innovation, a lot of creativity went into it. Uh, and yeah, was there work? Was there dedication? Absolutely, okay? But it was done all in the name of fun. Yeah, there was times he was frustrated, and he talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Where he's, you know... Uh, well, I took some inspiration from that. I was just really floored by the, the beauty of some of the, the things that he had made. And it worked really well in bringing his part, like creating a puppet uh, show booth. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, who the heck, you know... Yeah, where do you buy that? Where do you get that? Well, he made it. And... Yeah, at hand-built... Uh-huh. With tiny puppets for Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Which, no, once again, I mean, it's work fun. It's it's both. It Schrodinger's cat. It exists and does not exist at the same time. Exactly. And it is kind of like, if you're familiar with the book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, uh, which you know, dictates that there are a lot of things you can do in any order to keep your motorcycle running. 
and take it apart and put it back together again. Of course, there are certain things that you must do. You must make the connections <laughs> to the spark plugs and to the fuel injection system. Yeah, if your gasoline is on the street instead of in the tank, yeah. you're out of luck. Uh, you ain't going nowhere. Uh, but those are what are called self-evident. Things. You have a very heavy bicycle. So. Or requirements, yes. <laughs> but however you put your motorcycle back together, as long as at the end it's in functional shape, yeah, if you, reach the, if you reach the proper, you know, the, the final goal, uh, then, yeah, good on you. You know, that's a little Zen lesson right there. It exists both as a pursuit and labor, but also labor of love that, you know, you're going to get on that motorcycle and you're going to ride and go places. But if you don't do those things to start out with, you're never going to get started. And in kind of reverse order of that, and this is where the Zen comes in, sometimes you just got to jump on that bike and ride it. You can't, it's not going to pull you in, and it's also not going to be forgiving of you when you make mistakes, so you're going to have to learn. Yeah, uh, being ready to be wrong, okay, and... Oh boy, uh, that's a big lesson. Yeah, it's probably the hardest lesson, especially in interpersonal dynamics, because it is a statistical certainty that you will be wrong. You will make a mistake. It is not escapable. This will happen. You will come into conflict and either something will be nebulous and you may have fallen on the wrong side of it loosely, or you'll have a failure of memory and you'll be absolutely incorrect, uh, incontrovertibly wrong. It's going to happen. So if you have too much ego to walk back from an error, you're going to come into conflict with people very quickly. Uh, And again, too much ego, I can't be wrong ultimately kind of winds up with a lot of hard feelings and a loss of fun, which, you know, you that's the only place you can go wrong is when uh, our fun quantities have dropped by 20%. Well, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Close the pod bay doors, Hal. Uh, you know, just, <laughs> we're losing Atmo. Yeah, you can't uh, beat fun into something that is just not fun for you. And sometimes it may require you having to leave and find something that is more fun for you. Yeah, you know, you sometimes you've got to be the one to budge. Uh, if you've got five players and uh, you wind up down to one, uh, and people may have expressed that, ah, you know, it's just not tripping my trigger. Time to recalibrate, you know. If you aren't getting something at the table that uh, brings smiles to faces, where people walk out of the place six hours later going... Man, oh, that was something else. Uh, not every night is going to be like that. But oh, if no, no nights are like that, then uh, if you feel like you're losing ground, recalibrate. Don't don't be ashamed at all. Strip it down to its gears. Figure out where you can tinker. See, we read that book too. So yeah, it's okay. Uh, you know, zero pressure. I mean, and remember, I mean, it is a hobby. It is. Yeah. It is a marketed form of entertainment. Uh, the goal is participatory fun, uh, and always was, uh, especially after the era of tactical studies, when we phased out of the era of original D&D, which was very miniature heavy, uh, you know, the chainmail rules and things like that. Yeah, that was pretty much just a war game with a few more options. That was very college-aged, oh, let's see. Uh, it was a tough point of entry, okay? It was, it was, 
not an immense system, but it was targeted principally at people who had a reasonable level of education already achieved. And or experience with simulation type rules like war games or yeah. uh, like um, the Avalon Hill simulations. I mean, where but, you exactly have a, a perfect scenario that must be replicated in its entirety to represent what the historical value was. Well, and at the first glimmering of success, D and D immediately uh, morphed, recalibrated, uh, and they came back with things like basic and expert sets uh, very shortly after that era. And the point of those was to lower the bar for entry. I mean, to, to make it something that was approachable and easy to give more fun for more people because not everybody is, is going to be in that engineer state of mind. Like, yeah, nothing gives me joy like breaking out the micrometer. So, yes. Yeah. I, I've got the gas chromatograph, and we'll determine the atomic structure. And the calipers. Yeah, it just... Um, <laughs> and I, I'm not saying those are terrible things. They're, they're terrific, too. But uh, they don't inspire the same things from the same kinds of people. So when you're working with a mixed group, having that ability to appeal to more than one sensibility, mm -hmm. it's essential. You have to have it. Yep. And I think with that... Uh, We've answered the question, is gaming fun? And of course, oh, well, it yes, better be. You can make it not fun, or you can believe that a certain style of play is not fun for you, and that's okay. What works for you is a valid answer. And also, play to have fun is a valid play style. Oh, yeah, if people are aiming for fun, they're not gaming wrong, okay? Look, oh. I've had played Honey Heist and roared myself hoarse with laughter. Uh, you know, with just rolling die six and trying to match a number plus an attribute on a difficulty chart that it was handwritten on the back of a index card. Oh, that did. was the extent of the rules. And <laughs> You remember Tune? Yeah. I mean, you can play and have, as long as you have an understanding oh, of what your expectations are. We should do an episode about Tune. We should. That was a great game. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Paul Alday was... Uh... You know that he was in his bailiwick with that. I, oh yeah, we were we were definitely in the fun zone with tune. All right. Well, <laughs> no, I, no, that's an idea for another time. We'll keep that in mind. But I think we've worn out your listening and patience, and your port ears need a break. So we're gonna end it here. But uh, again, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can direct them to the brick wall. No, just kidding. You can let us know on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Or you can get a hold of me at Death Hand Gaming. That's D E T H A N D at Gaming. Give me a follow. And myself at Magi Vox. Also, uh, just let us know what you think in the Anchor app. And of course, as always, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.